Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from James, chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tamara. That we are still in this larger sermon series called uh, Faith is a Team Sport, but we're in the second part of it. And this second part of it has a subtitle. The first part had a subtitle of This is Who We Are. We went through all of those We Are statements. This one is subtitled This is What We Do. Uh, The book of James lends itself to telling us kind of what to do, what it looks like for us to do Christianity, what it looks like when it is lived out, when it is faithed. And so we thought this was a great opportunity for us to to tell you more about what it is that we do. And so we've got, each week we're going to have a a video that highlights a a certain portion of our ministry. We don't have all of the ministries highlighted yet with the video, but that is our goal, to have something for everybody. But we do have this first one for the youth department. Go ahead. And go. Go. Is it stuck? Is it not moving? Will it advance up there? Help us out. fun. Yep, that's where I'm going to go every Wednesday night now. I like, uh, I like the looks of that. So yeah, we want you to know what we do. And in addition to each one of those videos, I, I may drop in like right here, something else that you may not know. Wednesday was a big day around here, big day. In the far back, we have Odyssey Learning Academy. Odyssey Learning Academy is a really good school, and they now take up residence Monday through Friday back there in the back. We also had in the green room and in the parlor and other places, we had uh, a community health screening 
uh, we saw dozens and dozens of people who came and got monitored, they got good information, just saw a whole bunch of people. We also had, during that same time in the atrium, we had uh, something that we called, it was our first ever event of its kind, it was a job skills and training initiative for veterans looking for not just jobs but for careers. I, for a while now, God has laid it on my heart. We, we as a church and you as a pastor need to get involved to have some say in the rate at which veterans attempt and then commit suicide. And so as I have searched around and, and folks like Patrick have helped me and Becky Ivins has helped me and Robin Stevenson Bratcher and other people around who have really helped the Carla Steele and all, come to find out that actually not having purpose when you come back off of the field, not having a trajectory or career is a big contributor to that suicide rate or that attempted suicide rate. And so we decided to do something about it. So we had a bunch of folks here, my friend Mike Laughlin cooked that was some of the best uh, meatloaf I think I've ever had. It was really good. We fed them well. We cared for them. Ron and Ellen helped us as only they can back there with drinks and hospitality. What a day for OKC First. Did you know that we were in the business of trying to help veterans not harm themselves? Because this is what we do. And again, I don't, I don't mean that as uh, just about OKC First. I want to say that like the book of James, I want us to put a spotlight on what it is that faith looks like when it is lived out. The book of James is going to tell us, if you read the whole book, 59 times this is what you're supposed to do. There are only about 120 verses. 59 of those are used to say, no, faith needs to look like this. By the way, People need to see faith happen. Amen? Uh, faith is more than what you collect up here. It's how what you collect up here works its way out to the ends of your fingers. Can I get an amen there? Again, faith is not just a noun in Scripture. It's a verb, especially in Pauline literature. Faith is a verb. You faith the faith. But we're in the book of James. The book of James, written by, who knows, perhaps James, the brother of Jesus. There is some evidence that this was James, the brother of Jesus. And for that reason, it would stand to reason that this would have been a wildly popular book, much circulated letter amongst all the churches everywhere in the dispersion. So everywhere, everywhere that the church has been pushed throughout everywhere. But that's the point at which it kind of stops sounding like one of Paul's letters. The rest of it reads a little bit like a textbook and not just any kind of textbook. The rest of it reads a lot like wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs or other books in the Bible that we understand to be wisdom literature. Well, let's talk about wisdom. Let's talk about actually the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Does everybody know that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, years ago, I took what they call a driver's test. Years and years ago, <laughs> decades ago now. Before, it turns out, before they would give me a license, they gave me a book to memorize, right? And so I poured into my brain all of this knowledge, all of these factoids kinds of things, right? It's all just knowledge until it 
actually comes to bear on how I drive, that's the point at which it becomes more like wisdom. Make sense? I think it's possible to know a lot of things about faith and Christianity. It's possible to memorize a lot of scripture. That all still goes into the knowledge category. It's not until that knowledge starts to come to bear on how you live your life Christianly, it's not until then that we can start talking about that knowledge becoming wisdom. Again, how many of us know people who are very clear on what it is that we are supposed to do or supposed to avoid as good, kind, nice Christian people, well-behaved Christian people? Lots of knowledge. I can, I can name it chapter and verse. I can tell you the very paragraph that you can find this in the manual. Well, that person needs to get out. <laughs> get out and enjoy life a little bit. Amen. I did get an amen there. But it's not wisdom until there's a life that looks more and more and more like the word of God that we understand to be Christ. This terminology of the word of God comes up a lot. I mean, it comes up a lot. I mean, seemingly from the very beginning. In the very beginning... God created the heavens and the earth with a word, right? With words, God's words do something. God's words are all the time, and you can see this actually throughout the book of Isaiah too. God's words are out there doing something, shaping creation in certain sorts of ways. By the time we get to the New Testament, John says it like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and you know pretty quickly then, oh, wait a minute, he's not talking about just a word, he's talking about the logos, the message, the gospel, Jesus. Jesus becomes the embodiment of this word, this message, this gospel. Now, this word and the terminology of God speaking words seems often to be linked with this concept of wisdom. You are not supposed to be, Christian, a repository of knowledge and facts that make you better at Bible trivia pursuit. That's fine. That's good, actually. But it's best when that knowledge starts to work its way down, not just in your brain, but it gets all the way into the rest of your body so that when your hands move and when your mouth speaks, you find yourself doing the things that God is doing with God's word. Does that make some sense? In other words, a wise person with wisdom being understood, as we are trying to talk about it now and understanding it, a wise person is not the one who knows the most. The wise person is the one who embodies the most. Embodies. Wisdom is embodied knowledge. What God seeks for us and what the book of James spells out for us is not mere knowledge. You're not going to do what God wants you to do if you just memorize the 59 imperatives in the book of James. It becomes closer to what God wants you to do and to be when these things are embodied such that your life looks like more and more, at least, the Word, capital W, made flesh. 
God seeks for us to be people of wisdom. You might say, I would like some of this wisdom. How does this happen? Well, ask. Ask. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you will have what you need. What you need is at your disposal if what you want is to look more and more like God's spoken word that is Christ. So, the book of James comes to us like a giant New Testament version of the book of Proverbs and starts to spell out, okay, we Christians are not just the ones who memorize all the Old Testament laws and prohibitions. We Christians are the ones who put those things into practice. Faith without works is dead. Now, that line right there used to drive Martin Luther, the old, old, old Martin Luther, used to drive him crazy. In fact, he did not like this book. In fact, he didn't want it included in Scripture because he felt like it was somehow a contradiction with Pauline language that says, no, 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 all you do is you just have to believe. You just have to believe. And if you just believe that God is who God is and that Christ is who Christ is, if you just believe it and receive it and accept it, that's all you have to do. You don't have to do anything else. Most scholarship, especially recent scholarship, takes issue with Martin Luther saying, no, 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 these things aren't different, and and here's how they aren't different. So Paul says, no, you just have to believe it. James says, no, you have to live it. Here's how we bring them together. If someone were to ask me to assess my own beliefs, the best assessment of what I believe is not just what I could write down from memory on a pad of paper, It's how I live. And that's how we bring it together. Yes, Paul's right. It's something that needs to be believed and accepted and received. But belief and acceptance and receiving this good truth is not going to be demonstrated because you have memorized it. If you really believe something, you don't believe it just with your brain, you believe it with your body. Right? Again, Let's go back to driving school. In the book, it says, look, when there is a yellow line in the middle of a two-lane highway, you have your side and they have their side, right? Man, it's really important that that goes from knowledge to wisdom to embodied belief, right? Because if it doesn't, then I'm putting myself and others in harm's way. And yeah, that's the thing. If I need to know what you believe... The best thing for me to do is not have you list out your beliefs on a pad of paper, is to watch how you do work, is to watch how you do business, is to watch how you drive. God help me. Is to watch how you and I relate to our families, to our dear friends, to our enemies, to our opposites, and to our irritants. Here's the problem, right? God continues to want to speak a creative word into the world. And sometimes, sometimes it's the people of God who are in the way. And so James writes this book to say, hey guys, here's how we can not get in the way. In fact, here's how we can come alongside and be part of the means whereby God starts to shape all of creation according to this image, to this word that we understand to be Christ. So, 
Don't get in the way, James says. You must understand this, my beloved. It's God's words that are making the difference. Sometimes you need to close your mouth so that your words don't somehow inhibit God's words, because that can happen. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's right relatedness. Your anger does not produce God's right relatedness. Yeah, but I got something to say. It may not matter. No, I, I, I got to be heard about this. Maybe you don't. Maybe you'll communicate more by being quiet. By letting your embodiment do the work. There is a thought here. One commentator I read said, you know what? James would have been aware that there was this growing sentiment that went something like this. You know what? I think that we can get an army together and topple the Roman Empire. If we can just pool enough people who are just angry enough, maybe we can change the world through our anger. And James is saying, you can't. You'll lose. And by the way, that's not how God changes the world. Turns out he was exactly right. Goes on to say, look, here's what we got to do. We got to continue to listen to the word and to the words that God uses to shape us to be the new kind of creatures to populate this new kind of creation. But you got to keep listening. You got to keep listening for the word. And then you got to not just listen to the words, but you need to let those words sink in, not just to your brains, but to your hearts so that they can finally come out at the end of your fingers. You have to be doers of the word. You have to be. Again, again, I know folks who are knowers of the words who aren't yet doers of the word. Sometimes it's this guy. I know the words. I made good grades in my undergrad degree because I knew the words and I could recite them, but I did not do them. I had to go back to school <laughs> to see how it was that all of this knowledge could start to become life-changing sort of wisdom. It's a great time for you to take assessment now. Are you one of these people who has the capacity to peer into the Word, to allow the Word to, to serve as something like a mirror for you? Are you one of these people who has the capacity to allow Scripture to be a mirror for you? Let's say you're reading about Christ and Christ's understanding of the plight of the poor and how it is that we can help the poor. Are you one of these people who can look at that and in looking at it, see the difference between who you are and who Christ is, to confess the difference? Or are you that person who can look at that mirror, see how it is that you differ from Christ, and then go, well, that was really nice. Let's go to lunch. And pass five people on your way to lunch who are in need. Are you that person? Because I know I can be. I mean, you know, everybody knows, right, that, that Christ does say something in the Gospels about the needy, the least of these. Does everybody know this? Like, do you know it? 
Or is it shaping you in particular sorts of ways? You see what I mean? I think a lot of us have the capacity to hear the words, to look at Scripture, to allow it to be a mirror, only to walk away and forget. They look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, freedom, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. In their doing. Man. I don't know. I... I uh, I'm going to have to, to deal this week with, with my own stuff while also dealing with other stuff that has to do with something like this. Again, I think we have to be on our guard to not be the people who hold certain beliefs about what is and what isn't. Uh, hold certain beliefs about what should be and what shouldn't be. Hold certain beliefs about all kinds of things, even lifestyles. We hold them, but we find ourselves unable to actually get involved in the loving ministry of the advancing kingdom of the resurrected Messiah. I mean, I, I want us to have a better conversation, let's say, about alcohol. I mean, are we going to bang the drum like no one should ever at any point, any time, even have one drink? Well, if you're going to be that people, if you're going to be that church, you really, really, for credibility's sake, need to have a substance abuse recovery program. Amen? Let's don't just be hearers of this word that shape us for a life lived in the light of the resurrection. Let's actually be active participants. Let's be doers of this life-giving word. Verse 26, this is hard to hear. If any think they are religious, <laughs> and they don't bridle their tongues, but they deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. I'm reading straight off the page here. Unbelievable. I'm going to read it again. If any think they are religious, and maybe I would add here, more religious than that person, and they don't bridle their tongues, and by the way, I, I think if this were written today, it would also have been said, and they can't somehow keep themselves from posting, but they deceive their hearts, their religion is, according to James, who perhaps was the brother of Jesus, that person's religion is worthless. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. John, what is it? Okay. Okay, then what does it mean to be religious? Oh, I, oh, you're in luck. I have an answer. Verse 27 is as clear an answer as you're going to get for sure in this sermon today, but it's one of the clearer answers in all of Scripture. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
It's almost as if James is saying right there that you can't just think a good thought, that a good thought becomes a Christian thought when it comes out the ends of your fingers and you're actually embodying love and care for somebody else. Especially, especially the folks that need it. And Jesus was deaf on legalism. He really was. Another passage I could have preached from today is out of the book of Mark. And let me, you, you know these verses. Let me just sort of set a quick stage for you. But people are upset with Jesus because he's not washing his hands right. Upset with Jesus' followers because they're not washing their hands right. Do they not know? Do they not know all of these rules that are there? Keeping these rules makes us us, Jesus. Your people are going to be dirty because they're not washing their hands and who knows where their hands have been? Who knows what's going into your mouth and then into your body? Jesus says, hang on. You think that's what makes somebody dirty? Let me tell you what makes you dirty. It's what comes out of your mouth, not what goes in. It's greed. It's the lust. It's division. It's hatred. It's the vices that come out of the heart. That's what defiles person. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees stopped at knowledge when God dreams for you wisdom. Wisdom. You stopped at what God would hear in Christ and what James here calls a worthless religion when you had this other available to you. You're so hung up on the rules and what to do and what not to do that somehow you lost that we are shaped to be lovers of people and participants in a new kind of creation. And by the way, you may have them all memorized, but if you won't do this wisdom part, all it is is knowledge. And it might fit into the worthless category. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. John, are you gonna help us to help the least of these, the orphans and the widows? Yes, you've come on a very good day. You've already heard about it, and you're gonna hear about it again. You're gonna hear about it again, uh, a way to help these widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world, one of the ways that you do that is by serving the least of these. This is a picture of uh, <clears throat> care kit construction time that was done at both, I think it was at the middle school retreat and at the high school retreat. And here they are putting together what ends up being around 240 care kits. You've already heard about them. Avril has already talked about them. Zach's going to talk about them shortly. I'm going to talk a little bit about them now. Uh, these kits, it's a bottle of water, it's a pair of socks, it's a couple of snacks, but there's a lot of information too that we, we hope that people don't stay on the streets and without homes, right? So there's some information in there too to get them in touch with, connected to long-term help, like trajectory-shaping help. That information is in there too. And here's the thing. I, I want you to care about homeless folks. I want to care about homeless folks, and I hope that that care is both tangible and visible. Amen? We have 240 kits. Have you guys noticed that homelessness is on the rise in Oklahoma City in the area? 
So much so, the mayor's put together a task force, and you got it. They called OKC first and said, hey, can you guys help us? And they said, well, sure. What do you need? Well, we, we need for church folks, this was, I kid you not, this was the call. We need for church folks to understand that homelessness is a long-term issue and to not treat it like a short-term issue. We need you to not just go out and do a, a, like, a, like a sandwich thing, which is great, which is great. Unless, by giving them a sandwich, you sort of sustain their being outside of good housing. And you keep them away from the long-term resources that the city has worked very hard and other organizations have worked very hard to make available to them. <laughs> John, will you come help us tell Christians not to undercut the justice issue by doing the short-term compassion thing? I'm, I'm having to really sort through that. I will tell you, I will tell you, we need to care about the long-term situations of the homeless in Oklahoma City. And we need to be involved in that process, right? And so we do have a bottle of water, we do have some snacks, we do have socks, and there is information that will navigate people toward the long-term solutions because that's what it looks like when knowledge becomes wisdom. That's what Christians do. This is what we do. Another picture. This is them putting those care kits together, but look how startled Avarilla is here at the end of this table. She can't believe that she got Drew up and around to help with uh, care kit construction. It's unbelievable. And so we return to the table. I, I would submit to you that around this table and in our undertaking of this particular liturgy every week, this is one of the ways that we guard against knowledge just staying knowledge and not becoming wisdom because, because every time we gather around this table, we're reminded of the story, our origin story that shapes us to be people who love because we are in contact on a regular basis with the fact that God loved us first. And we recognize that our lives of faith are lived in response to love that started in the heart of God. God loves us first. And we hope that as we finally are able to eat and drink, take into our bodies these tangible reminders that God loved us first and best, that somehow we are unlocked then to love and to care, not in small, legalistic, tokenizing sorts of ways, but in dramatic sacrificial, creation-shaping sorts of ways. I think it's here around the table that we are shaped not just to be reservoirs, repositories of wisdom, repositories of knowledge, but people of the word, people understood as wise. If you don't already have elements, please raise your hand. We have people across the sanctuary who can get you something. We have three who are ready to hand out elements. It's important that everybody has some. Let's see, young man down here with a beard needs one, looks like. As Zach, just make sure that they know who we're talking about. Anybody else? I hope today, I'd like to give you something to think about as we take communion. And if you are at home watching great time to go grab something and I will bless these elements and believe that God has the reach to reach even those things that you will use at home 
I hope around the table today you recognize that this is one of the places that knowledge can become wisdom. Realize that this is a place where God is moving us and shaping us to be people, not just people who know things, but people who live and embody this truth. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, shape us to be your people. Shape us to be the embodiment of the word. Give us a deeper appreciation for what it means for us to be the body of Christ. The one referred to in scripture as the word with the capital W. It's on the night that is betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken for you. Every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. And so now if you would, church, take and break and eat. same way after dinner he took the cup and held it up before them and said and this is my blood the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it including today remember me so now church if you would take a drink and that is our hope God that you will move us away from a disembodied knowledge to an embodied wisdom, which is always going to take the shape of life lived in the light of the resurrection where love animates us, orients us, and organizes us. Now, perhaps, like me, you have fallen short of that this week. Well, this is the time in this prayer and we make this time available every week this is a time when I'll get out of the way so that you and I can pray our individual prayers of confession, fully acknowledging that we perhaps have fallen short of the embodiment of truth this week. And if certain circumstances come to mind, let it happen and confess those as they come to mind. So Heavenly Father, hear us now as we allow you to draw our minds back across this week to all those moments when we have fallen short. This prayer of confession while Ken comes to the front to pray these prayers of intercession. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep us for eternal life. Amen. Pastor King.
Father, as we continue with our hearts bowed before you, we lift those in our families and in our church family who are desperately struggling today. Perhaps you have placed, we believe, you have placed at least some one person in the minds and on the hearts of every one of us. And those we lift before you just now, asking for your miracles, asking for your peace, for your comfort. Some who come to our mind just now are those who have just this week received some troubling, terrifying health news. They need your touch. Some who come to our mind are those who lost loved ones just in this past few days. we ask that you would wrap your arms of love around them and offer your comfort. Help them to be aware of your tears with them. And then we have those who just are struggling with life. Find these to be troubling days. And we ask that you would give your direction, your assurance. And so, Father, we lift our church family before you. And beyond the, the numbers there in this church family, those who you have placed in our hearts, knowing knowing that your love is wrapped around them and asking that you would give them eyes to see and hearts to know that love. And then church, let's continue in prayer as we pray together this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.